Tua. Fires, touchdown Miami. Waddle, snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play, they get it. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? It's a Friday. We're doing great over here. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it's a fan Friday and a football Friday. We're taking a look at the week 13 picks. We'll preview conference championship weekend across college football. Cannot wait for that. We're also going to have John Kinjemi on to talk Dolphins and Giants. The last word on that game coming up on Sunday here, 1 o'clock at Hard Rock Stadium. All of that and a whole bunch more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. Let's go ahead and get right to our guest today before we answer your questions on the mailbag as well with John Kinjemi. And another Friday warm welcome to our weekly guest here on the Drive Time Podcast, John Kinjemi. John, how we doing, man? How many how many key lime pies did you destroy during Thanksgiving? Well, um, multiple is the best <laughs> answer I could come up with right now. I don't want to put a number on it, but there was more than one. I had a good Thanksgiving. I was thankful for uh, all the things we should be thankful for. But uh, at, somewhere on that list was key lime pie, that's for sure. <laughs> Got a few more of those on Sunday as well to kind of help us with this four-game winning streak now. And speaking of the four-game winning streak, it's been a pretty pretty fun ride for us here the last month. And allow me, John, to apologize for getting pretty excited in that game on Sunday in the press box. I was pretty fired up there, so haven't had that much fun <laughs> in, in some time. But we want to keep that rolling this week. And I think one way we do that here is trying to figure out how to attack either of these quarterbacks that could be starting in the game NFL Network said Mike Glenn starts. Joe Judge says not so fast. We haven't made a decision yet. So my question for you, John, is do you think between Glennon and Daniel Jones, the Dolphins would attack those quarterbacks differently? Um, Yeah, I think there might be uh, some type of difference between quarterbacks. Obviously, the athletic part jumps out at you when you're facing Daniel Jones because you have to worry about him escaping the pocket. You have to worry about extending plays. Uh, this is the guy, you know, he's cl- averaging close to five yards every time he tucks the football, either on a scramble or a design run, close to 300 yards rushing, two touchdowns. I think it, it stretches you a little bit in the red zone, even though the Dolphins have been really good uh, defensively in the red zone uh, through this win streak. I think that might be a little bit of a change facing Daniel Jones or, or if Mike Glennon gets the start, it would be his first career start as a Giant. Uh, he's only thrown 25 passes this year. So I, I think if you're the Dolphins, you'd rather see Glennon because the Dolphins' defense has been very difficult to figure out over the last month, month and a half. And even the most experienced of quarterbacks have struggled with this defense. So Daniel Jones has been playing. If he's closer to 100%, he gives you that escape factor, something the Dolphins have to worry about. So I would think the Dolphins would much rather see Glennon than Jones, but I think they're capable of stopping both of them. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anytime you can, you know, QB one is, is obviously QB one for a reason, right? And you mentioned Mike Glenn's past yeah. success. He's had he's had some good runs in his career, uh, but like you mentioned, hasn't had a, a start for this Giants team yet. And we kind of saw Cam Newton come into a, I mean, it was a different situation, but come into a new offense and kind of have some difficulties finding answers to the questions this Dolphins defense poses. And you know, last week we saw the Panthers defense pose a big problem on the edges with Brian Burns and Hassan Reddick, but I thought Miami did a pretty good job against them for the Giants. It's different. It's on the inside where a lot of their pass rush comes from with Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence. So my question to you, John, is what is the difference in game planning for a pass rush that really excels on the outside versus one that excels up the middle? Well, remember a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about integrity of the pocket for Tua Tungavailoa when he's able to stand tall in the pocket, be able to step up a little bit and still have that bridge of about two yards or three yards of a cushion so that that interior rush doesn't uh, block throwing lanes, especially when you've got a guy that's six foot or six foot one. You know, that's the thing that you worry about. The edge rush doesn't worry you so much because normally if your tackles are on on their game, they're going to be able to blow those guys by you and be able to step up into that into that safe area in the pocket. And then Tua could tuck and run. He can maneuver within the pocket, throw the football. The G-men pose a problem, a little bit of both. I see your point in terms of uh, Williams coming up the middle because he's got five and a half sacks. Austin Jackson, three and a half sacks. These are big men coming at you uh, with bad intentions through that middle of your offensive line. So the center guards, they have to have that integrity this week in terms of protecting, not only being able to run the football effectively, but when you're going to throw it, you have to give that that confidence to your quarterback that he's going to be able to stand tall and deliver the football. Now, I, I do know that they have a wrinkle on the outside with those outside linebackers. You know, Ojolari has five and a half sacks. He can pose a, a presence off the edge. But to your point inside, it's another big week for, you know, that, that center of the offensive line. Depending on who starts at center, could be Cameron Tom, could be Dieter back in the lineup. Yeah. You're not sure who's going to be there. <laughs> But whoever it is, in working in conjunction with the guards, they're going to have to have another big game. Absolutely. And you mentioned, you know, the, the four top pass rushers really for this Giants team. You mentioned, uh, we talked about Lawrence and Williams. You mentioned Austin Johnson and o- o- Ojolari. Three of those four guys are interior primary players, so it could be an interesting matchup there. And Ojolari is having a great rookie season, too, so he poses some problems. But I want to go now to a matchup between the Dolphins quarterback and the Giants safety, because I was curious for, you know, I love asking these questions for someone that has the perspective behind the helmet, so to speak, here. But this Tua and Xavier McKinney matchup. Now, they were at Alabama. Alabama together and I had the the opportunity to talk to both players at the combine and I spoke to Xavier about practicing against Tua Tungavailoa and he mentioned you know every day after practice they would kind of communicate what they saw how they can adjust things and you know just leaders talking about what they saw that day in practice do you think there's something to that does it provide an advantage to either side in this matchup I think it's 50 50 to be quite honest with you Travis because I've faced that issue in terms of being on a team for like six years, then being traded to another team and facing guys that you practiced with, guys that you hung out with, guys that you warmed up on the sidelines with, that you threw footballs to guys that had trouble catching it. And all of a sudden, they're in coverage against you, and they know all of your tricks with the way you want to manipulate your eyes or your shoulders, uh, the way the ball comes out. And it's kind of like you don't want to see ghosts on either end. For a quarterback, 
You don't just want to assume because you know someone that you can predict exactly what he's going to do or he's supposed to do this in that coverage. And for a defensive back, you don't want to do the same thing to the quarterback. Well, that ball's got to come out. I know he's trying to steer me one way, but I'm going to go another way and then lose your principles of your landmarks from when you're, where you're supposed to be. So I think it's a double-edged sword. It can work with you if you use it and don't see Ghost as a quarterback, but it also can be to your disadvantage because you're, you're trying to think for that guy because you know him so well. So I think if you just play the game and, and let it play out, both guys would be in better shape. But if you think you know too much, that's when you maybe call a timeout and shake the cobwebs and, and get back to your your basic fundamentals. That's that's a great point. It kind of reminds me of uh, back when my in my heyday of baseball, I had a, a a crosstown rival, a pitcher that was he was one of the best in the conference, and every, I bet a leadoff. So every game we kind of knew like. All right, Travis wants to swing at the first pitch. So he started throwing me curveballs, and I started anticipating curveballs, and I let <laughs> fastballs go by. So like, it's like you talk about too much information sometimes, I suppose, can be a bad thing. So those are some of the matchups in this game, John. How do the Dolphins come out of this with a victory? They will win this game if? I think, number one, it, if they stop Saquon Barkley. I think the Dolphins' defense uh, continues to dictate to opposing offenses, whether it's via the blitz it gives identification problems to the offensive line, to, to the running backs, who's, who's chipping on who. But it's, it's Saquon for me. If you stop him, now you can get into your bag of tricks on defense and continue this relentless pressure that the Dolphins, through this win streak, has been able to come up with all the turnovers, all the interceptions. You know, it's been a great story on defense. But if they can stop Saquon by, by getting his on the ground, I think they get back to to maybe putting a lot more pressure on that Giants offense and especially that offensive line. They're not going to be able to handle it. So that's the first thing. And I would say for Tua to stay consistent, he's been he's been awesome. I, I think high percentage throws, the ball's coming out on time. You know, since coming back from the injury and off the reserve list, he's just been terrific. And I think it's something to build on for this offensive team. You know, Waddle's the beneficiary of it. Kasiki, for not the last couple of weeks, but for the majority of this season, has been a beneficiary. But you're getting to see other guys like Albert Wilson, you know, get involved in the offense. You're getting to see uh, Durham Smythe get more involved in the offense. And that's because you're getting a little bit of mix of run. You, you know, I don't care how we get to 100, as long as you get around 100, whether it, it takes two or three guys. But the beneficiary is Tua and the offensive line. Not a lot of pressure on the offensive line because you can run it a little bit. Tua has been able to be the beneficiary of a little bit of this run game. And I think that that's why he's been so efficient. And it doesn't matter if you get two guys or three players to add up to 100 yards rushing. As long as the Dolphins can get close, Tua is going to be able to benefit from that because you're not just pinning your ears back and coming after him. He's going to be able to beat you with the quick screens, uh, the now plays that are an extension of the run game. And, and his level of play over this win streak has been phenomenal. So I, I like where the offense is. And I'll put one caveat on the Dolphins win if. You, you look at the both defenses coming into this game, and Patrick Graham, the old defensive coordinator for the Miami Dolphins, now with the Giants. The last six games, this defense has been really good for the Giants. They're only surrendering around 15 points a game. 
and they're getting a takeaway in every game. The Dolphins defense, uh, five sacks last week, three interceptions. They've, they've been terrific over this four-game win streak. They're only allowing like 11 and a half points, and they're fifth in the NFL in red zone defense. Which unit, which unit can continue this high level? Which unit can continue to take away the football, set up the offense in excellent field position so that either Daniel Jones or Mike Glennon or Tua Tungabailoa can go 50, 60, 65 yards for, for easy points instead of going the hard road? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Patrick Graham there as well. He's definitely done a good job with the Giants after being the Dolphins defensive coordinator for here for one season back in 2019. John, I got a few questions for you here in the mailbag. And I want to start with at Patty Perk, who asks, he says, Travis, I also want John's take on this too. So perfect. Uh, this game looks to be on a tee for Miami. How can it turn into disappointment? And what do we have to do to make sure we take care of business? So I guess kind of what you just spoke about, but the idea of, you know, John, you see the fans that are talking about the possibility of this game, you know, being a win. That's not how you can think about this game, right? You have to know that the Giants are going to bring their best game and you have to play your best game as well. Well, yeah. I mean, just take a look at the way the Carolina game started. The Dolphins pressured on defense. Cam Newton hits a big play down the field and it leads to points. The Dolphins, you know, ease up a little bit, but then they bring the relentless pressure on again and they, and the Carolina Panthers couldn't withstand it. Now, You'd like to see that play out again, no matter who's playing quarterback for the Giants. You want to feel confident as a Dolphin fan because they're on a roll. They're playing at the best level they've played all season long. But what are the Giants going to do? You know, do they have a healthy Galladay or Shepard or Tony or, or Slayton or, you know, or, or, you know, the tight end Ingram? You know, who do they have offensively that's going to try to, you know, be returning of the serve of the pressure on defense that the Dolphins can really manipulate and cause confusion up front. Whoever wins that battle is going to probably win the game. So I would say be confident, Dolphin fans, but both defenses are playing at such a high level. You don't know how, you know, you don't know how it's going to go through the first quarter, second quarter. I think you have a pretty good indication by halftime who's got a handle on this one. Yeah, I just, I don't see, I would be shocked if you saw a complacent Dolphins team. It's just not how it works around here. Be very surprised if you don't see a very strong effort from this Dolphins team once again, looking for their fifth straight win. So in that fourth straight win, we saw the Dolphins had the opportunity, John, to pull some guys off the field there at the end of the game because the game was in hand. So at YZ80 asks, at the end of the game when the backups came onto the field, who stood out to you and who struggled in that game? I want to focus more about who stood out to you in that last series there, John. Well, I, I don't know if, if, if anybody really stood out, out to me, to, to be quite honest with you, Travis. And the way this offense and this defense rolls in and out, guys, you have to be careful to say, like, who's a backup? Because, you know, Nick Needham could be, could be registered as a backup or depending on how many safeties are in the game, Brandon Jones might not be in there. Or on offense, you know, you get uh, – we talked about getting the football outside uh, to different guys. Albert Wilson might not be a starter, but he's going to be influential in a game just getting the ball in his hand in space. Isaiah Ford as well. He could pop into any type of formation. Preston Williams, you know, we saw him come into to some of the formations later in the game. I expect those guys to be relied on going forward. So those are just a couple names for me. Um, I'd look at center this week. There's a big question mark. You don't know who's going to play, but whoever it is, whether you deem him a starter or deem him a backup, he better play at the same level of a guy that's been playing for 
10, 11, 12 weeks. Absolutely. We saw, you know, Brandon Jones was down in this game, and I thought the defense had one of their best performances. So they're definitely capable of stepping up and really making sure that next man up does step in. I want to give Javaris Davis a little bit of love. He had a pass breakup on, I think, six or seven plays in that last series there. So it was good to see him make his NFL debut and have some contributions there. Got two more questions here, You know John. what, hey, Travis, Go for you it. know what? Uh, also, Duke Riley, yes. a, a guy that can play a little bit of everything. He's a guy on special teams, had the big play, but I like the, his more his consistency has been good when he's been asked to do things defensively. He got that that party started last week with a couple of tackles, yeah. a pass breakup, a blocked punt. He was all over the place. He's he's been yeah. valuable here down this this winning streak. So hopefully that continues. And I guess this kind of leads us into the next question here. We got two more for you. This is from at John TXU boy. Uh, what's behind Miami's winning streak? Is there one specific thing, John? The defense, the quarterback play. What's it been for you? Those two items, I would say number number one uh, and number two. Defense has been stellar. They've been able to take the football away. They've been able to cause confusion, uh, create havoc in the offensive backfield where you don't feel like you have enough time to get the football down the field or, or beat the man-to-man with any consistency. And then the way the terrific play of Tua, I think he's been accurate. He's been on time. He's been a leader. He's been a guy that that you can rally around. And I think in the last month, he's played some terrific football at the quarterback position. Not many people outside of South Florida, I I think, are giving him enough credit. He's he's starting to come on here a little bit. The stats are starting to show up for him as well. So it's been fun to see that kind of, you know, a little bit of shift there as far as the narrative uh, around the quarterback and this team and all, and all that fun stuff. It's it's always more fun when the, when you're you're being talked about positively, even if you say you know it's you block it out as fans, whatever the case may be. But I personally enjoy seeing the love the Dolphins get during these wins. But again, got to keep that rolling. And then one last question for you here, John, if you can help us out. At Captain Kirk six oh nine asks, do you know what kind of contract Philip Lindsay has? And do you think he can stick with the Dolphins long-term? Uh, I don't know the status, uh, the exact st- uh, status of the contract, but to the second part of that question, yes. I mean, Philip Lindsay, he's a guy that can thump it up, up in the middle where the big bodies are, or he can get on the edge uh, with, with a lot of quickness. So I think when you're looking uh, at the dynamic of the room, you need a change-up guy. You can't just have the same type of back uh, coming in the game that, that you're looking for a change of pace. I think Lindsay gives you that. I think he's tough. I think he can pass for tech. I think he can do just a little bit of everything. So I, I was thrilled when the Dolphins picked him up, and I was, it was, uh, I was elated to see him get in the game right away. He had about four, five, six plays. He, he handled nicely. I'm sure that might expand this week against the G-man in that defense. So I, I hope Lindsay's here for a lot longer than just the tail end of this season. Yeah, I wrote on Twitter that I thought he had some juice after a couple of those runs. You mentioned it. He just he runs hard. He plays physical. He's really good in pass pro, and he has the right mentality. And to the first point of that question, when you claim a player off waivers, you just you inherit them in their contracts. That's what it looks like. The one-year deal, I believe, he signed there with the Houston Texans. So there's some information there for you on Philip Lindsay. That's it for you guys. That's it for John this week. John, I appreciate your time, man. We will see you again back at Hard Rock Stadium on Sunday against the Giants. Looking forward to another game, hopefully five straight here, John. Yeah, enjoying these wins and these home games, especially for the for the fans that endured the uh, the first month and a half of the season. Be patient. They were. And now let's see if the Dolphins can keep it going. Perfect, perfect message. Be well, John. We'll talk to you on Sunday, man. Okay, sounds good, Travis. Thanks. 
and away he goes. He said it all as he does every single week here on Drive Time. Apologize for some of that kind of audio technical difficulties. We had some tough time connecting on this call, but I'm glad we got it all done there because John always provides a great analysis and perspective for us here on the Friday edition of Drive Time. Let's keep this thing rolling here with the mailbag because there you guys put a lot of good questions in the mailbag this week, and I want to do a bunch of them, so we might go through this a speed round here a little bit. We are ahead of schedule, so that helps too, so I'll stop talking about it and just do it. The first one here comes from at Burcheesey. Travis, do you think the offensive play calling has improved throughout the season, or have the players just become more comfortable within the system and are executing better? Well, I, I talked about this on the All-22 podcast. I thought that was the best game plan of the entire season. The way they handled Brian Burns and, and uh, Hassan Reddick, and dealt with that, that secondary that has so much speed and playmaking ability. I mean, Jeremy Chin's one of the best safeties in the league. I didn't hear from him that entire game, so I thought they did a good job of really trying to focus on some of the most productive players the Panthers have had and make them largely invisible after that first series when Brian Burns had the strip sack. But a great game plan. Better execution doesn't hurt either, so a little bit of both. But I thought the, the game planning has been really good here in recent weeks. Next question from at Hassan Patel. Hassan, what's going on, man? Good buddy of mine here on uh, writes for Finns Maniacs. Check out his work and their entire work there with Jason Sarni. They do good stuff there covering this Dolphins football team. He asks, with the Dolphins lining up in, cadent- in condensed pistol looks, how does this make it harder for teams to defend? I think when you can just kind of condense your formation in general off some of those RPO looks, and let's go ahead and just put this out there. Like the RPO is, is a critical element of this offense, but it's only a percentage of it. I mean, I think Tua has 51 passes out of RPO according to Pro Football Reference, which is 200 or uh, out of 250 or so pass attempts he has this season, give or take. And so you're talking about what is that? A quarter of the offense, uh, one fifth of the offense, and that doesn't include the Jacoby Brissett snaps as well. So they run that offense or that that package, you know, not as the base type of offense they run. And when you can condense things in that RPO look, it just gives the defense more things for their eyes to get caught on, whether it's motion, whether it's a possible split zone action from the tight end who comes across the formation and either shows that split zone block or he leaks to the flat for a reception. And Tua has you know, the flat, the hook, the curl. He's got the handoff option, the slant option. He's got so many different ways he can put the defense in conflict. And when you condense all of that, all it does is increase the way you can expand post-snap. I think it's a great look for this Dolphins offense out of that particular package. Out of 12 personnel, no less, when you have two guys who are more used to playing either slot or in line in your two tight ends. And of course, a couple of receivers who can play all over the field as well. And you go back to what Sean McVay and that Rams offense has ran for so long. Nobody in the NFL ran tighter splits from the Los Angeles Rams since Sean McVay got there and they're doing all right in that regard. So I think it's a great package, Hassan. Great question, great observation, and I'm loving what I'm seeing out of that condensed pistol, especially, especially when you get that single wing, whether it's Mike or Preston. Just so many varieties, so many options and variety they have off those looks, and it's putting the defense in conflict right now. Next question from at Rakejo1 on Twitter. Travis, with the team going on first on a losing streak and now a winning one, I wonder, have you seen any significant changes to the coaching staff or that the coaching staff has made in terms of process, schedules, ways of working, points of emphasis that have been key? Well, Brian Flores does kind of alter his schedule based upon the particular week. Like, for instance, on the primetime game, you have later practices typically. I remember the London week was a little bit different for the scheduling too. 
But that's just kind of a baseline thing. In general, though, th- they don't change. It's Brian Flores is very committed to the process. He has a certain process that he believes in that this franchise and this team is built on, and he's going to stick to that process. You'll hear him talk about that, whether they're winning or whether they're losing. And I think that his consistency in that message and that approach is what has you know, one of the main things that's gotten to him to this point of his career because people know what to expect from him and this football team on a day-in, day-out basis. Next one here from at Sir Rant and Rave. That's a great name. In your estimation, does this team have enough to actually dare to make a playoff run? Obviously, these next two games are must-haves for that, but is this current iteration good enough for the playoffs? Look, I can't answer that because if we talk about week 18 right now, which still sounds weird to say, if we talk about week 18, we're just we're not doing ourselves any favors here on the podcast by doing that because who knows what each team looks like at that stage, right? Go back five weeks ago. The Patriots were on a losing streak, or a little bit longer than that. The Patriots were on a losing streak. Dolphins were on a losing streak. Now, both these are two of the hottest teams in the NFL. So if you try to project that far ahead, you're just kind of, you know, going in the wind, as it were. So I, I wouldn't do that. All I would say to you, sir, is that Win this week. Focus on this week and this game and, and get yourself in position to go to the following week. You have to go 1-0 every week. I know it's a cliche to say, but cliches are cliches because they're often true. Next question here from at uh, Seth427 or S-T-E-T-H 427. I, I don't know how to say that. Most improved player from training camp to now. Uh, with that, I'm going to go with Jalen Phillips. We saw him kind of have his breakout game on Sunday, six and a half sacks, and five of those are over the course of the four-game winning streak. Another question from him. Three players on the practice squad that you want to see on the 2020 roster. I can't give you that exact estimation, but I'm a fan of Javaris Davis, as I talked about earlier. He just got his call up, so I think I'll include him in that group. I'm curious to get a look at the two rookies in the seventh round as well, Jared Dokes and Larnell Coleman. How do they develop from year one to year two? We've seen the Dolphins have this developmental plan where they have guys come along at different you know paces and different stages. Can they be the next guys to make that year two jump, or even contribute this year as well. So we'll see about them. And I'll put Javaris Davis in that group as well. And then he asked, favorite section to watch a game at Hard Rock Stadium? To be honest, I'm almost always in the press box. I went to a few games when I was younger, sat in the nosebleeds one time. And for the 2008 uh, Wildcat season, I went to the Patriots game and had really good tickets there. And that was before the bowl got condensed and moved in. So I would say the best spot to watch the game from is probably... You know where I take the photo on Sundays to promote the podcast? If you guys are familiar on Twitter, I go behind the goalpost in the 200 level or the club level, and I sit at the top back of the wall right there behind the goalpost and take that photo. I would love to watch a game from there. It's a great view of the field. Next question here from at Cameron Sparks instead of the three in Cameron or the E in Cameron. It's a three in Cameron. What's your favorite Christmas movie? Cameron, you're going to get me in trouble here because everybody I talk to dislikes this take, or at least 90% of the folks I talk to. My favorite Christmas movie, this is not the take that gets disagreed with, is Home Alone. I, I mean, this, this, the Wet Bandits, the Sticky Bandits, Marv. I mean, <laughs> it's just, it's too good. It's, it's hilarious. I watch it every single year and it never disappoints. It's actually coming up to watch that again this year. But here's a take that will get me in trouble. Because I know you all love uh, Christmas Vacation, and it's good. Randy Quaid is elite. We'll, we'll go ahead and admit that. Vegas Vacation is a better movie than Christmas Vacation. We good there? Okay. Next question from at extortion. Obligatory to a question. Tua seems to be as advertised, accuracy off the charts, processing, footwork, ball handling. Those are a lot of my favorite things about his game back in college. What are some of the things that you think should be a priority for him to improve upon? I think we talked about this a lot in the postgame show and we saw it last week. The the cutting down that one mistake that he was kind of making per week, right? The the turnover that just did not add up 
to the rest of the equation that Tua was showing you on a, a week-in and week-out basis or a pass-in and pass-out basis. When he's completing, you know, 80% of his passes, then he makes one head-scratching decision that turns into a, a turnover and that kind of swings the tide of the game. If you can cut that thing down, then we're talking about even more efficiency, hopefully more explosiveness and, and continued accuracy. So just cutting out that one mistake as he did last week, if he can do that consistently, we're cooking with gas, baby. All right, we have the college conference championships this weekend. One of my favorite weekends of the entire year. And we got a bunch of good games on the slate this week. Let's go ahead and start and look at some of the biggest games on the calendar. You have Oregon and Utah kicking this thing off Friday night. I'll be taking a close look at that. I don't think you're going to have a chance at Kayvon Thibodeau. But Oregon has plenty of good prospects on the offensive line and the defensive secondary. He's not going to play because he's hurt, but C.J. Verdell is an absolute stud. And go watch Devin Lloyd, the Utah linebacker. He does everything. He's a phenomenal, phenomenal player. He's a first-round draft pick all day. Looking forward to that Pac-12 championship game. In the Big 12 championship game, Baylor and Oklahoma State. Baylor has a pair of skill players I'm a fan of. Tyquan Thornton. Watch his clips or his tape slants to the crib all day long and then running back Abram Smith is a great tackle breaker has a nasty spin move contact balance good vision and then the patience slash explosiveness out of shotgun on those zone read handoffs obviously a good translation to the NFL now at this stage in 2021 compared to what 10 years ago for Oklahoma State I love their safety Colby Harvell Peel he can do everything box play the slot, play the single high post. He's got size and coverage ability, ridiculous range and ball skills, has one of the best picks of the season this year. I think it was against, you know what, I forget the opponent, but he had a great pick going over the top of the field, way down, he high points that thing and grabs it and pulls it in. Offensive line, Josh Sills. He's a guard for the, for the uh, almost said Sooners, for the Cowboys. 6'6", 325, can play multiple spots. He's nasty, has power, has that tenacity, start streak, all that fun stuff. He can pull and hammer dudes in space. I think you guys will like his game a whole lot. Georgia and Bama, we've talked about these teams a lot on these Friday podcasts. I'm not going to go over the prospect list again because it's lengthy, but basically the entire Georgia defense and then Bama has talent all over the field as well. Michigan and Iowa, you guys know about Aiden Hutchinson. You know about David Ajabo. Both those guys are two of the top pass rushers in this year's class, so they will certainly be first-round picks or close to it. And then for Iowa, Tyler Linderbaum, the center there, I think is the best center in the entire class, a first-round draft pick if you ask me today. And then Tyler Goodson has the quicks, and he's decisive as well. Kind of a, a human joystick, if you will. Let's go ahead and pick these games. Conference USA, give me UTSA. In the Pac-12, I'm taking Oregon over Utah to get the revenge. In the Big 12, I think the way Oklahoma State won Bedlam, I'm going to go with Baylor after the fact. In the MAC, give me Northern Illinois. In the Mountain West, give me San Diego State. In the Sun Belt, give me the Raging Cajuns and Rob Hunt's alma mater. In the American, give me Cincinnati. ACC, I'll take Wake over Pitt. And in the Big 10 championship game, give me Michigan to punch their ticket to the postseason. How about the NFL picks for the week? Took tons of chalk this week. On the season, we are now 118 and 60 and 1 after a 10 and 5 week last week. This week, we're going with took the Cowboys over the Saints on Thursday night, despite all of the players and coaches they're missing in that one. Take the Dolphins over the Giants. Give me the Bucks over the Falcons. The Cardinals over the Bears as Kyler Murray returns to the lineup. This next one's the toughest one of the week to me. I'll take the Bengals over the Chargers. It's a tough game with Burrow and Herbert, two of the top six draft picks in that 2020 draft class. Give me the Vikings over the Lions. Take the Eagles over the Jets. Give me the Colts over the Texans. 
Ah, Las Vegas with a long break and Washington coming off a short week. Give me the Raiders in that game. Give me the Rams over the Jaguars. Ravens over Steelers and the Seahawks, even though they're struggling right now, they typically beat San Francisco. I have them doing that again in an upset. Give me the Chiefs over the Broncos and the Bills over the Patriots on Monday night in a big one there here in the AFC East. That's going to be my time on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at NFL. You can follow the team at Miami Dolphins wherever you're on social media. Please be sure to check out the YouTube channel. We have all kinds of media availabilities, and they were great all week long. Check all of those out. And, of course, Dolphins Today with Joanna Torres and me once a week out of the two shows, but Joe's the star of the show. And, of course, MiamiDolphins.com for all the latest on your Miami Dolphins. Until next time, fins up, Caroline. Daddy is coming home.